So, Matt, uh, for New Year's, Ashley and I decided we were going to watch three whole movies back to back. Okay. Luckily, I was the one facing the TV. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that one. That was a good one. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> All right, everybody. Happy New Year. I hope I'm the last person to say Happy New Year to y'all, because if you're still hearing it, people are off the ball. I don't know. Matt, how are Matt, you tonight? See see you next year. Yeah, all right. That other. right. <laughs> Man, I'm good. I'm good. Had uh, had good Christmas, had some time off, uh, saw some family. It's been good. Yeah, that's I'm glad always... to be back in the graveyard. Oh, yeah. It's always good to get a little time off, a little vacation and stuff, but there's something to be said about uh, the routine of recording and all that stuff. It kind of keeps your head screwed on straight. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know how straight my head is ever screwed on. <laughs> That's a valid point. <laughs> valid point, Matt. Um, so big news on my side of the graveyard is before Christmas, uh, Ashley and I got married. Um, so we did Yay! that whole thing. Yeah, buddy. Um, so we haven't really done a honeymoon or anything yet. Um, our honeymoon was actually, Matt, I sent you pictures of our honeymoon. We played uh, Yeti and my spaghetti with uh, Michael. Oh, yeah. That was our honeymoon. Um, so <laughs> those, uh, those other pictures of your honeymoon you sent, I'll, uh, I'll keep under wraps. Yeah, so. yeah, please do. Don't, <laughs> don't tell anybody about it. Maybe I should edit that out. Ah, yeah, I can believe in. you sent me a picture of y'all playing Boggle. <laughs> right? <laughs> it boggles the mind, doesn't it? <laughs> so offensive. Oh, it is. Well, I, I had to share with somebody, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so real quick, we want to let, ever, let everybody know that uh, we are members of the Podbelly Network. If you haven't checked them out yet, go check them out at podbelly.com. You can get information on starting your own podcast and find a whole bunch of different podcasts from different genres that you might not find if you just listen to us. Um, so go check them out, podbelly.com. Um, we've had questions here recently about live shows. Um, so we wanted to go ahead and mention this. Um, we have a live show scheduled with Hillbilly Horror Stories. It's their show, and they decided to invite us to come do it with them. So this is July 18th of this year in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Um, I will get a link added to the website so that it'll be easy to buy tickets and find out a little more information about that. So if you're planning a trip in summer, go ahead and plan a trip for Pigeon Forge and come see us and Hillbilly Horror Stories. And it's a fairly early show, so once we wrap up, you can go grab drinks somewhere or you know, go find a place to enjoy there in Pigeon Forge. And um, Matt, I mean, Pigeon Forge is a beautiful area. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's gorgeous up there. A lot of stuff to do, a lot of things to see. And heck, you get to hang out with us. Right. You know, 
Right, and we did an early show so we wouldn't turn into pumpkins if it got too late. <laughs> um, so y'all can right. maybe a little extra time to hang out with us. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of live shows, we Matt and I are trying something new this year, um, and we have partnered up with a company called CYA Live, C-Y-A Live, um, and we're going to start trying to uh, do... They're live shows, but it'll be live broadcast on the internet. Um, And it's going to be a really cool format because you can get a ticket. It's cheap. Um, You just get a ticket and then you can join the uh, basically our room and we can do visuals in there where something you might not get just listening to the show. It would be like you sitting with us and seeing the pictures we're seeing um, we can put pictures of the venue in there, uh, whatever we're talking about. Um, you can see Matt and I as we discuss it, and you can watch Matt flip me off repeatedly um, like he <laughs> likes to do. Um, so it'll probably be a little less censored than uh, a normal Graveyard Tales episode because we won't be editing out anytime we cuss. Um, right. So, so you'll, ca- you'll catch them because sometimes we do that just right <laughs> as we talk so right um and the other truckers really, or anything but you know. no no but it happens um the other really cool thing about see alive is that you guys will have the opportunity to call in during the show and we can take your call and talk to you for a little bit put you up on the monitor if you have a webcam or if not it'll just be your voice being heard um if you have a a question about what we're talking about um or anything like that you can call in and we can actually answer your call kind of like live radio would be and we can discuss it with you guys and and have a full conversation like that so i think it's going to be really cool and we're going to try to do that on a fairly regular basis. Um, our first one, though, is going to be January 24th, which is a Friday, and it's would normally be a dark week for us. So we're going to try to do that to kind of keep the content coming. Um, once I get a little more information on what the price of the ticket will be and what you guys need to do to join that, then I'll do like a Facebook Live video or something and explain it all to y'all so you'll have the information um, but we're looking forward to doing that and we're looking forward to getting to talk to you guys in that fashion yeah it's it's going to be super cool and and don't worry this is this is something new and extra it's not taking the place of our regular show right you know you're still going to get the same content you know but um, this is just something a little bit extra that uh, I think a lot of our listeners are going to appreciate and enjoy. I know Adam and I are looking forward to it. Um, it's a way for us to interact with you guys e- even more. So uh, really, really looking forward to this. It's going to be fun. Right. So hang out with us and, and keep checking back on Facebook for instructions on how to do it and all that stuff. And uh, we'll also talk about it on the next episode that we put out in case you're not on Facebook so you can hear exactly how to do it. Um, also wanted to thank Donald Erickson from Episodes of Television Podcast. Um, he sent us a package 
with a graveyard with a lot of skulls and stuff in it. And I don't know how you knew that's exactly what I wanted. Um, but he <laughs> he sent it to Go us. Figure. Yeah, right. I don't know how he knew. Uh, but pretty awesome skulls and stuff in there. And it it really cool decorations for the graveyard. So we appreciate that, Donald. Um, means a lot to us. Um, also, one last thing before we get into the show. Um, I know this has been a, a long housekeeping bit here but first show of 2020 so kind of get it all out of the way um shows like graveyard tales grow due to the support of listeners like you guys and y'all have done a fantabulous job of spreading the word of graveyard tales um so if you haven't yet though go give us a review on itunes or something like that and write a little something it really helps push us up in the charts if we get more reviews apple for some reason, will push us. It's something to do with their algorithm. I don't know why, but we get more traction like that. It pushes us to new listeners. Um, also, if you haven't, share us on social media and with coworkers and friends and tell everybody about it and get, let's try to grow the graveyard more so we can do more live shows and do more cool stuff for you guys. Right, right. You got it. All right, so Matt, that's all I have for the boring housekeeping stuff. So why don't you tell us what we're talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight Adam and I are discussing the house at 14 West 10th Street in Greenwich Village, New York City. And you may think, what, is this a a Zillow podcast now or something? We're doing real estate? Graveyard real estate. This house is special. Because it has been dubbed the House of Death. And there's been a lot of uh, well-known people affiliated with this house. But it's got some really interesting history and some just incredible paranormal activity that's gone on there. So we really think you guys are going to enjoy this. This is not a place that pops up on your radar too often when you're looking for uh, haunted places. But if you start digging around... Um, you'll, you'll find it, uh, it, you know, it's, it's nestled in New York, which, you know, is pretty, uh, pretty rife with, uh, haunted places. I really, that's true. Really never considered that. But as I was researching this place, found a lot of places in New York that are haunted and a lot of places we can add to our, (laughs) so, so there may be more places in New York that, uh, Adam and I will pick up on in the future, but for now, uh, we're going to get into the House of Death. So uh, Adam's going to share a little bit of the history of this place. All right. So like Matt said, the address is 14 West 10th Street in Greenwich Village, New York, um, and they've nicknamed it the House of Death. Um, But, you know, to kind of get an idea of where this house is, we need to talk about Greenwich Village a little bit so you kind of understand the people and the area a little bit better. Um, So Greenwich Village is in lower Manhattan and it's now one of the most desirable places in New York to live really. It's it's a beautiful area. A lot of stuff to do. There's tons of restaurants and bars and cafes and a whole lot of things that you can do. And on top of that Believe it or not, it's one of the most expensive neighborhoods in the country. Mm. 
So in all of the United States, this is one of the most expensive neighborhoods. It's the well, Beverly Hills of Manhattan. Pretty much, yeah. Um, historically, though, Greenwich Village has been like a mecca for artists, and it was the Bohemian capital for a while, and it was actually the center of the LGBTQ movement at the Stonewall Inn there in Greenwich Village. Well, Greenwich Village encompasses the area surrounding New York University, as well as the West Village. Now, the layout, if you know anything about New York, um, the layout is very gridded. You know, it's very squared off and in a grid pattern and everything like that. Well, Greenwich Village is actually the opposite. It's not in a grid pattern, so it doesn't look like the rest of Manhattan there, um, which makes it feel a lot more organic and, a you know, a lot cooler a place to be, but it also kind of makes it a little harder to navigate according to residents of the area. Cause I mean, I guess it, it, you know, Matt and I, you, we're used to the non-gridded areas. Right. It's laid out like Nashville. Right. Uh, and if you can make your way through Nashville, you can pretty much make your way through any city, I would think. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, for people who are used to the Manhattan area where, you know, you you make three rights and you're back to where you started, well, it's a little bit different, you know. Um, the development in that area, though, has been highly restricted. So you can't just build and change things because they don't want to change that artsy, old-looking feel to the area. So it's kind of cool. You can go down there and see old buildings and kind of see that artsy neighborhood the way it was and has been for a long time. Greenwich Village historically, though, was famously known as an epicenter, um, like I said a minute ago, for the American Bohemian movement of the early and mid-20th century. Um it was also known as an artist neighborhood with a bunch of eclectic and eccentric residents there. You know, if you get a bunch of artists in the, in one area, it's going to be kind of an interesting neighborhood. Yeah. You know, whenever I think, whenever I hear Bohemian, I always think of the movie Moulin Rouge. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I always think. You know, everything is all, you know, real artsy and nothing really matches everything right, is just right. kind of you know it's just it, well eclectic is the best word it's like we got this from here and this from here and this from here but it's a lot of different cultures that seem to just collide but they they kind of mash up together right and you know the those those kind of areas really tend to bring out a lot of life Oh yeah, you know, I mean that the artists, uh, you know, musicians, um, you know, poets and writers and all kinds of people are drawn to those kind of areas because it's very inspiring. Sure, um, you know, but you know, those kind of people are also very open minded, and uh, in certain times through history, those were the people that were most interested in things like the occult. Mm-hmm. And spiritualism. And so you had a lot of activity in areas like Greenwich Village uh, where those things happened. Right. And, sure. 
if if you've learned anything from this show, it's those kind of activities leave a mark. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. And we will talk about that mark that it left in uh, shortly, because it certainly left a mark. Um, but since there were these type of people there, um, it allowed for a lot of small art galleries to thrive. Um, there were a lot of alternative theaters and, quote, controversial publications that thrived in that area as well. So, you know, publications that wouldn't necessarily make it in a stricter big market in New York, they were allowed to thrive in that area because the people wanted it and they had that different different way of thinking than the rest of New York and the country. The 10th Street Studio building located at 51 West 10th Street was the first modern building uh, created in that area exclusively for the needs of artists. Um, so it became kind of a prototype for all the future developments in that area. And besides what the house of death that we're talking about, there was another Greenwich village icon there and it's the hotel Albert. Um, It was used as a meeting place for writers and artists from the 19th and 20th century. Like Matt was talking about, that's the type of people that would show up here. Um, So people like Mark Twain, Walt Whitman, Salvador Dali, Jackson Pollock, and Andy Warhol all showed up at this Hotel Albert and stayed there and and shared ideas. And, you know, it, it was a really interesting place to be at the time. Yeah, this it wasn't attracting any scrubs. No. You know, these were, I mean, as famous as these people are now, they were innovators and and risk takers sure. for their generation. And, and they all came to this area and they... They shared ideas and thoughts and things like that. So, you know, like you said, a lot of life right yeah, here. Absolutely. Um, in 1925, New York's oldest running off-Broadway theater, Cherry Lane Theater, was opened in that area. Um, and it became the center of downtown theater and was a place where up-and-coming playwrights could exhibit their work. And writers like Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg gained notoriety there. And musically in that area, Matt mentioned musicians would show up. Well, Greenwich Village was also a haven for anyone musically inclined. Icons, including Bob Dylan, who lived in that area, and Jimi Hendrix, James Taylor, and a whole bunch of others kind of became popular in that area in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. So it it's, again, use the word Mecca and Haven for artists of all genres, all outlets. It, it Greenwich Village had a reputation as an artist and activist haven. Um, and the, the problem is that... That kind of atmosphere is now gone. And the reason it's gone is because the neighborhood has skyrocketed its rents. So it's, you know, it's it's not a place that up and coming artists can move to and live anymore because you can't afford to live there. Yeah. There's you know? a lot of, a lot of places in New York like that. Yeah. Yeah. So they've kind of moved that thinking and that way of life out and now it's only people with a lot of money that can live there however it still is one of the 
quote, prettiest neighborhoods there in New York. Um, But the house we're interested in was constructed in the 1850s near the start of the Civil War. Um, As Matt will talk about, 22 people have died in the home, and that's the reason it gets the moniker House of Death. Now, 22. 22. That's... Think about your house and think about if 22 people died in your house, how that would <laughs> how that would feel. Well, my house is not old enough for 22 <laughs> people to have died, but Well, valid point. I guess I mean, I don't know. That it it sounds like a high number. I mean, that seems like a lot of people sure. to have died in in one single residence. Um, you know, I guess it's it's old, but Still, I mean, it's not like a medieval castle, right? Right. You know, it's it's you know it's it's a hundred and fifty years old. You know, a little bit more. You know, less than two hundred years old. You know, it, maybe I don't know. Twenty two yeah. people. Well, it's, and like you know, like we've talked about before, it's not a. It's not like a Civil War hospital or anything like that where you would you would expect deaths like that to occur. This is just a house. So for 22 people to have died there, it it is kind of an extreme amount for just a living space. Right. In the middle of a city. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, it just strange, but but maybe not so strange. Right. I don't know. So, well. This house, 14 West 10th Street, um, as Matt will get into, I'm kind of prefacing a lot of stuff that Matt's going to get into because it's important. Um, It's supposedly haunted by 22 different ghosts from these 22 people that have died. Um, And I, I won't say who the most famous ghost is. I'll leave Matt to break that news for you guys. The number 14 house here. Um, was known as a Greek revival home. So it was built during the late 1850s um, in this favorable area of Washington Square. And before landing the infamous name, um, this brownstone home was home to many members of New York's elite, including Mrs. James Borman Johnston, whose husband had been a founding member of the Metropolitan Underground Railroad and the Broadway Underground Railroad. Now, in 1900, the building became the favorite residence of author Samuel Clemens. And y'all think, well, I, I know that name. Why do I know that name? That is Mark Twain. But Mark Twain only lived there for maybe just a little over a year is what they're saying. Not, not even, I mean, maybe a couple weeks over a year. Um, now, the townhome already had a reputation for being haunted at the time that he moved in. But Mark Twain was, I mean, he was a huge skeptic. And people label him as a skeptic. I would say Twain was more of a cynic when it comes to yeah. Oh, um, yeah. paranormal stuff. He, he, would, he was very cynical about it. And he mocked the idea of ghosts and refused to believe in anything unexplained. Um, He even expressed his disbelief in a short story that was called, quote, a ghost story. Um, And in that, a ghost haunted his own fake corpse. Um, 
even the sight of something that was truly unexplained or what Matt and I would consider, you know, unexplained phenomena couldn't shake his cynicism. Yeah, I mean, even there, there's a story where one night he saw a piece of kindling wood move by itself near the fireplace and he grabbed his pistol and shot it. Okay. And, and it fell to the floor and Twain saw a few drops of blood. Now, no, there were no intruders. There's no humans there, no animals, and nothing else was ever found to explain the event. Although Twain, Twain you know, he, he was sure that he had shot a rat and he still refused to believe that what he had seen was paranormal and in any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, which so, baffles me. <laughs> even even presented with something as strange as shooting at, at a falling piece of wood and and seeing blood but not seeing any evidence that he actually hit anything. He's like, ah, must have been it was a rat. Yeah, it was I, a I rat. It was a rat. <laughs> yeah. This is, to me, that's the kind of thing you say when it's something scared the absolute crap out of yeah. you. You're like, oh yeah. It was a rat. I know it was a rat. Yeah, it must exactly. have been a rat. Couldn't have been anything else but a rat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and that could very well be what it is, but that that's why I say he's a cynic. You yeah. know, he he had an unexplained phenomenon there and <laughs> immediately nope. Nope, it wasn't, you know, wouldn't even consider that it was something different. And I'm not saying that just because you see a floating piece of wood or what you from your vantage point can see as a floating piece of wood that you should say, oh, my God, there's a ghost holding this piece of wood. But you have to consider all possibilities. And he was unwilling to do that. He was just like, well, I shot a rat with my pistol. And even though. My pistol should have killed the rat. It only left a couple drops of blood, and I see no rat. So right. that, that was still a rat, though. I mean, it, it just it baffles me. Well, as the demand for housing grew in New York City, many of the brownstones like 14 West 10th Street were converted to multiple family apartments, and it was no exception. Um, it was moved from being just a single-family home into 10 apartments in 1937. So, single-family, now you're cramming 10 apartments into this one building. Now, we like to talk about the energy left behind by people or events in an area that could spur on more unexplained phenomena, paranormal phenomena. Well, This home was home to what a lot of people have considered a real-life demon, Joel Steinberg. He was a former New York criminal defense attorney, and Steinberg was charged with first-degree manslaughter for beating his six-year-old illegally adopted daughter to death. Now, Lisa Steinberg was found around 7 a.m. in November of 1987. Uh, She was found by officers who were responding to a call about a child not breathing. Now, after entering the second floor apartment, they found Lisa unconscious and another baby covered in filth and tied to a playpen. Now, the baby survived, but Lisa was declared brain dead and died a few days later. Steinberg 
unfortunately, was released from prison in 2004, though. So if traumatic events will cause unexplained phenomena or a a holding of energy in an area, I would say that is a traumatic event that could do that. And and you know what's what's really odd is that with an event like that, one would immediately go, Oh, well, this house is haunted by, mm-hmm. you know, this a spirit of this child. Um or possibly you know, as as I was thinking, some evil entity. Sure. That um that caused Joel Steinberg to to do such a horrendous act. But in researching this couldn't find any any direct experiences that anyone could attribute specifically to a child spirit that would be affiliated with Lisa Steinberg. Right. So my my answer to that would be this is a fairly modern event. Mm-hmm. You know, this is you know 1987. You know, I mean that's that's fairly recent. Uh, for events that you and I usually discuss on this show. Sure. So it's quite possible that there just hasn't been enough time that's passed or that the house already had so much activity that any any activity related directly to this event is just overshadowed. Right. That's kind of what I was thinking, yeah. You know, I mean, we're talking about... Now, Adam mentioned the the twenty two deaths. We talked about that. There has been, uh, there, there, well, there's there's numerous accounts where people affiliate twenty two spirits with the house. And and Adam and I were discussing this earlier today that that just seemed that number seems to be drummed up because of the deaths. Right. That they're making some assumptions because as we're going to get into this. This, a lot of the spirits that are associated with this, at least one in particular, did not die there. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it shouldn't necessarily be a relevant number. You know, if all 22 spirits of the people that died there were somehow trapped in that building, um, then there's more than 22 for sure. Right, right. So, but going from this tragic event, going back in time to another one. Uh, the house was owned um, by Mr. Fred H. Andrew. Now, in 1987, he became the new owner. Now, Fred Andrew uh, was a competitive cyclist. And one day, he had an event termed reckless bike riding, which caused him to collide with an eight-year-old boy, causing the boy to have a broken leg. Now, Andrew was arrested because of the boy's injury, and the house was deemed cursed a few years later. Now, the boy did die from his injuries, which nowadays you don't typically die from a broken leg. But in 1897, you know, those kind of things happen. Right. So that was kind of the first tragic event right outside of the home that led people to say that the house was cursed. So getting into some of the the activity in the house and and Adam uh leaving leaving the the most famous ghost for me to talk about. You're of welcome. Of course. <laughs> if you hadn't figured it out yet, 
the most famous spirit in the house is that of Mark Twain, which again is odd because he didn't die there. Mark Twain died right. in uh, in Connecticut, and uh, you know so why his spirit would have come back there? I mean, it was a place that you know Mark Twain held near and dear um, in life, so maybe that's where his his spirit went. But what's even more strange is maybe he he as a spirit gives gives a little insight as to why he's back. Now, in in, in modern times, Twain's ghost is said to appear to the residents of fourteen West Tenth Street on the first floor and at the lower level landing in the staircase. And the staircase is a pretty common place where other spirits are seen as well. Uh, There's a lot of activity, and staircases in general seem to be uh, hotbeds for paranormal activity. We we hear that a lot in other places that we research. I think one of the reasons just um, that... We talked about in-between spaces before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A, a staircase is an in-between space. You're going yeah. in between one floor to another floor. And yeah. if paranormal and unexplained activity is heightened in in-between liminal spaces, then it would make sense that staircases would have more paranormal activity and because there would be some transition-type activity there. Um, so... If you think about all of the staircases that people say we see ghosts on, it kind of makes sense when you think about it in that in that way as a yeah. transitional space. Yeah, yeah, and that's a really good point. Now, one former resident, um, Jane Bryant Bartell, uh, she attested to Twain's presence at the townhouse. Now, Bartell was an actress and writer who discovered that she had second sight. Uh, shortly after she moved into the neighborhood, she began to see and experience different psychic phenomena when she moved into the house next door, which was 16 with West 10th Street. Say that. Save that five times fast. Yeah, no kid. West, West 10th Street. West? That's, that's where she lived in Gwinnett Village. Sounds like you bit your tongue. <laughs> But uh, Bartell said that she would hear noises, see visions, and had a general feeling of dread and foreboding. So what does she do? She moves next door. Oh, sure. To to 14 West 10th Street. That makes it much better. (laughs) She literally jumped from the frying pan into the fire Mm -hmm. in this situation. (laughs) So, and and believe it or not, she still felt the presence of ghosts. Oh, really? So. And like we said, this this place already had a reputation. And so now she's going to move right in right into the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said she always had this strong feeling that Twain was still there. So one day she asked the superintendent if he had ever noticed anything strange in the building. And uh, he said, well, the super before me, he had some stories. And so she asked him what kind, and he said, about that fella Clemens. And she said, has he been here? And this is uh, this is a quote from, uh, from Bartell's book. He says, yes, ma'am, twice that I know, and by two different folks. The superintendent continued, on the ground floor back in the 1930s, a mother and daughter, a young widow woman, were sharing the apartment. 
said, so the mother, she comes into the living room one evening before the lamps are lit, and she sees a man with white hair that's all wild-like. He's sitting in a chair looking out the window, and she says, who are you and what are you doing here? And he says, my name is Clemens, and I got problems here I got to settle. So, um, you know, if, if you believe this story, mm-hmm. um, maybe maybe there was some unfinished business that Mark Twain had in that house, and maybe that's why his spirit decided to return there. Um, Which is know. good advice. Um, before you die, finish your business. Finish get, your business. Get so your you affairs in order. Exactly. <laughs> but Bartell didn't only have a run-in with Mark Twain. During her time at 14, 14 West 10th Street, she had a multitude of experiences. Bartell reportedly saw a monstrous moving shadow that loomed up behind her. And that's a quote from Miss Bartell. Now, in her memoir, which is titled Spindrift, Spray from a Psychic Sea, written in 1974, Bartell wrote about feeling a brush against the back of her neck and the smell of a rotting odor all throughout the apartment. Now, one day, said she saw a vision of a man, and she reached out to touch him. And she wrote that she touched a substance without substance, chilly, damp, diaphanous as marsh, mist, or a cloud of ether. So, that's a, I mean, that's a pretty detailed description. I think everybody can can kind of gather yeah you know what what she felt at that point um but things got darker now shadows that no light would touch a mysterious chair their dog would snarl and growl at as if it contained some uh invisible enemy then a phantom shriveled grape hmm. you, you heard you heard me right it was a phantom shriveled grape so as a raisin not a phantom raisin because you know these phantom raisins they've got to be dealt with (laughs) they are they're getting out of control but rarely do you ever hear of a phantom shriveled grape they usually just they they just mind their own business if you go full phantom raisin you've gone too far i'm telling you (laughs) never never go full phantom raisin ever (laughs) but shriveled grape yeah, oh, maybe. Man. They're usually good. They're usually good good people. <laughs> but this uh this shriveled grape appeared in the dead that center was my of a clean, in high school. Uh, shriveled grape was my nickname in high school. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. We just won't touch why. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. yeah. I bet I bet it was. <laughs> I bet it was. Stomping all over my talking with your shriveled grape. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I couldn't help it. <laughs> so anyway. So back back to this shriveled grape. Yes. It, it appeared dead center in a clean dinner plate. Now, even though the couple claimed that they hadn't bought grapes in months. Uh, it just showed up, you know, as shriveled grapes often do. But she would find furniture inexplicably moved from its usual place, and the sound of crashing glass 
chased her around the building. So here they are. They're, they're living in this really cool place. They're having all these experiences. So they decide to move next door, you know, in, in probably an even cooler place, but much more active. And these things keep happening. So the Bartels decide, well, it's time we do something about this. So they contact a, a paranormal expert and a medium to come and investigate their home. Now, the medium claimed to, to have felt something or many somethings dead under the floorboards. Now, she said it was possibly a young girl, an aborted child, and or a small gray cat. Now, this is important. So you got to remember those three things. Okay. Okay. So the medium suddenly snapped into a trance and was possessed with the spirit of Rennie Mallison, who was a 19-year-old who said that she was born in 1948. Now, this, this spirit blamed President Lincoln for killing her husband, Henry McDermott, by making him fight in the Civil War. And she was crying and sobbing over the loss of her aborted child. So, like I said, a lot of twists and turns. Things in mind. Mm-hmm. Now, in an effort to evict the spirits, the expert told them to vacate the property and that the Bartels were the rightful owners of the home and to leave them in peace. But a voice shot back from the medium replying, quote, never. I will never leave here. They will have to go. This is my home. I will never leave. Now, after unsuccessfully cleansing the home, the Bartels never truly felt safe. And so shortly after that event, they left. Yeah, you just made them mad. Yeah. But that wasn't the end of the Bartell story. Now, the Bartels lived at 14 West 10th Street for 12 years. But after their departure, Jan claimed that the horrors did not stop for her. Jan felt that she had become poisoned by the home and that an evil spirit had attached itself to her. Now, Jan Bartell died under mysterious circumstances in 1973, possibly by her own hand. And her memoir was actually unfinished, but friends managed to collect the pages to publish it in 1974. And, and I, may have, I may have said that it was written in 74 earlier, but it was actually published in 74 because she, she died in 73. So um, that's the answer to all the, all the emails and texts I get. <laughs> my right. timeline is, is out of whack, but that, that's actually so. what happened, so... If you've um, already tweeted that at us, go delete it because Matt just corrected himself. <laughs> yeah. So. We're the only two people listening to the show and we're getting the tweets about mistakes we're making. So. Yeah, right. It's not uncommon. Phone's, phone's <laughs> blowing up right now. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, so uh, not only did Jan Bartell have direct experience with, you know, the spirit of Mark Twain, she, re- she was related stories about other residents who had had experiences with either Mark Twain or a spirit that resembled him. And, and the spirit is described as being in a white suit with the wild hair. And if you've seen any pictures of Mark Twain, you know, that kind of fits 
what you see. Um, and so multiple stories, you know, and here she is experiencing herself, but she experienced so much more. And the, the memoir, um, it, it really goes into in-depth detail of, of how she felt, how the house made her feel and the things that she would experience in the home. Um, and some of them are downright terrifying, you know, but overall finding additional stories from the people that live there, they're, they're really just not there other than maybe you may come across a few anecdotal stories where they'll say, you know, they hear footsteps or, you know, they, they feel like they're being watched or followed or they've seen something on the staircase. Um, and, and I think part of that is due to the fact that when the the building was, you know, changed to apartments, the activity increased. And, you know, Bartell was already, you know, saying that she was sensitive to this. I mean, she, she felt like she had this, quote unquote, second sight. Right. Um, but she was already sensitive to it. So she's already kind of looking for it. And the other millings about Adam and I have talked about this. When you have a lot of action, there's a lot of coming and going. You know, sometimes you just don't you don't notice things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she she was an actress. I would imagine she spent a lot of time in there, you know, either rehearsing or between acting roles. Um, she may have been home a lot more than you know, the, the regular nine to fivers that, that lived there in the building. Right. And she had the opportunity to experience more. Um, not saying it didn't happen for the other folks. Um, just the, the stories aren't out there, but there, there is, uh, one story that I managed to find and it was a much more modern, um, a much more modern story. This is, uh, from a man named Dennis. Um, who at the time of this article, uh, which was written in 2012, uh, Dennis had lived in the in the building uh, for about the last 20 years or better. And to what I can tell, he may very well still live there. But he did not want to share his last name because he said it made him feel kind of weird or embarrassed to be telling some of these ghost stories. Dennis the Menace. That's why Dennis he, didn't wanna, the menace. he didn't want to share. <laughs> But Dennis is a musician and a photographer who lived on the third floor in number 16 for more than 20 years. Uh, like I said, he didn't want to give his last name, but he says that he has seen what he quotes as uh, little clips and visions of women in long gowns flowing from room to room, as well as experiencing seemingly random flickering night, fl- flickering lights. Now, Dennis believed that he was seeing the same spirits that reportedly haunt number 14. Now, Dennis's statement for that is walls don't stop them from doing anything. That's true. So, so that's true. You know, and plus, when all of this began, it was a single brownstone. Mm-hmm. It wasn't multiple apartments. So just because you adjust the the architecture of the building later, you know, it doesn't mean that anything that was, you know, that a spirit was doing, it was going to affect what they did. Right. You know, so he, he makes a valid point. They could still see it the way they saw it then before you did the exactly. change. Exactly. 
So Dennis recalls one night many years ago when he was photographing. <laughs> I like it. No, I, I was, that was perfect. <laughs> when he was photographing a dancer in his living room. He left her alone in the room for a minute, or so he thought. His guest was startled to see a lady in a long flowing gown, followed by a cat walking into the room. I told you, remember those three things. Mm -hmm. So, So here's the cat. The dancer picked up her stuff and ran out. And Dennis says she wasn't the first female visitor who fled his apartment after being spooked. <laughs> said, I have girls that would never come back, Dennis says. <laughs> Is that due to the ghosts or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is there something else happening? So, you know, it this the this, this situation is really affecting Dennis's personal life. Right. You know, it you know, he can't he can't keep a girlfriend because they're afraid to go to his house, you know. So yeah. Hey, I, you know, it's been there, that's, done that's, that. That's a bad deal. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine Dennis standing in there. Look, I really liked her. Yeah. We all leave these girls alone. Yelling at the walls. <laughs> just, just leave I, one alone. I'm stuck in this lease. I can't leave yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, Dennis claims that he believes that number fourteen is haunted and believes that the stories in Bartell's book are true. Now, he relates that when he was researching the history of the building, he was browsing a store for a book on the occult, and a copy of Bartell's book fell off the shelf into a young woman's hands who was helping him. Now, Dennis says he has owned about 10 copies of Spindrift, Bartell's memoir. Oh, wow. But that the copies keep disappearing. So... (laughs) So either either the spirits don't want him reading this book or Dennis is just really bad about losing stuff. Yeah, they keep but, getting checked out and not returned to the Dennis library. You know, after after two or three books that I I would lose, I I'm not buying a fourth. No kidding, right? You know, Dennis says he's he's had 10 copies of it and he can't keep them. Just, so at least he's he's giving it the old college try, well, you know. Buy it, keep it off site, and go there to read it. Quit bringing it yeah. home, you know. Like, surely, you know it's just, it's not a coffee table book necessarily, you know. Well, that's that may be part of his problem, you know. If you're if you're leaving the book about how your apartment could be haunted out, you know, for public <laughs> consumption, right? You know, you got your girlfriend sitting there read. What's this book about? And there she's sitting there reading. Is like. Wait, this is where we are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You go to the bathroom, come back, and she's reading it, and you're like, oh, not again. <laughs> so, you know, this is another graveyard PSA. If you live in a haunted house and there's a book about it, don't leave it out on the table. Right, right. Visitors to your house may, uh, may be a little uh, unnerved by... The, the book relating the haunted history of the house that they're standing in. <laughs> Make sure they're cool with it before you show them the hundreds of years of hauntings and where they're standing. That's right, because you don't normally tell visitors to your home that your house is haunted before they visit the first time. Right. You right. Know, this isn't a great way for them to learn this. <laughs> right. Hi, welcome to my home. There's a demon on the second floor. And if you go into this closet, we've got a lady that likes to scream at your face. Make yourself at home. Uh, it's it's like the uh it's like the simpsons the 
the the Dracula treehouse of yes. the horror one. Yes. That's that's odd. The blood usually gets off on the second floor. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man. Good reference, Matt. Good reference. I'm proud of that one. <laughs> so uh so there is some uh there is some speculation that it's not just number fourteen that maybe the the whole block right there has enough history to produce some paranormal activity and and number 14 is just yet an, another address you know of of all the paranormal activity that happens up and down this block mm-hmm. now writer Philip Ernest Schoenberg who is author of Ghosts of Manhattan says that the paranormal activity at 14 West 10th Street may not be limited to just that brownstone the block itself has an interesting past. The spirit of Emma Lazarus, who wrote The New Colossus, which is the poem on the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty. You get bonus points if you knew that before I told you. Yeah, right. Um, has been spotted still lurking around her old house at number 18. Now, mystery writer Dashiell Hammett and romantic partner Lily Hellman, who wrote the play Little Foxes, among others, also lived on the block. Edgar Allan Poe's last known residence in New York was at number 17, where a woman rejected his marriage proposal. So, you know, like we said at the top of the show, you know, this area was very common for writers and artists, definitely musicians. um, And there was just a lot of life there, but a lot of death as well. But energy. Energy, that's what matters. Yes. You know, really positive things, tremendously negative things like, you know, the the murder of Lisa Steinberg. All of these things just build the energy. And if there's one one thing we we know that if you're if you're going to believe in the existence of ghosts or spirits or demons or whatever in this realm. You have to believe in the fact that they feed on energy. Right. They, they've got right. to have it. Just like us as humans, they need the energy as well. And, you know, when when something leaves just a lot of energy in an area, you know, that's where we see a lot of this stuff kind of happen. Definitely. For sure. And, you know, we mentioned that there were not a lot of stories about 14 West 10th Street that we could dig up. But the question that I have for you guys is, does that make it an incredible place that, you know, there's not anything here and it's just everybody's imagination? Or does that make it more credible? Because sometimes when you get a place that somebody says, well, every day I'm having a haunting, every day, you know, a book is being thrown at my head and I see a demon and you get people that talk about it all the time, sometimes that can make it a little less credible because you're like, well, you've got to be making something up, you know, it's, it can't be that often because we would have evidence of it. So yeah. the fact that there aren't that many stories, does that make it more legit? Or do you think, well, no, it, it's just, 
the energy of the area makes people feel that way and and there's a history there so people are making stuff up um i'm kind of on the fence about it because i don't i don't know which way to go on this particular residence or block even yeah um i i don't know well some points to consider there is number one 14 West 10th Street in Greenwich Village is private residences. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it has been. Sure. Um, it, you know, it's it's not a public access place. It right, never was right. a hotel. Um, it wasn't, you know, a store, you know, that was converted to apartments. It was a home from the beginning and it's homes now. So this is not a place that you're going to see, um, you know, some ghost hunting show just show up, you know, one show after another doing some kind of investigation there. Because even if I live in one of the apartments and I think mine's haunted and I think, Ooh, I want to be on some, I want to be on a ghost hunt show. Mm-hmm. The, the other dozen people that live there may be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Right. You know, this, this is our home and you're going to bring all this crap here. Yeah. We don't want a you bunch know? of dudes in wearing black and showing up yeah. with their FLIR cameras and, yeah, I mean, who's to say that there's somebody that lives in apartment 12 or, you know, something and says, man, listen, you know, I hear footsteps, you know, I hear noises, stuff gets moved, you know, no big deal. Just shut up about it. Right. You know, this this right. is where we live for crying out loud. You know, I don't I don't want my friends thinking that I think my house is haunted. Yeah. You know, I don't want my I don't I don't want my business associates asking me questions about why I live in this haunted place that they saw on some TV show. Yep, exactly. So so, you know, at, at least now in in our time, you know, you would think that as exciting as this sounds to you and I, that there's a lot of people that are just like, look, I don't care. Believe it. Don't believe it. Don't come here looking for it. Right. This is my this is my home. And I would just prefer, you know, not to discuss it. Right. And, and that, so there, there's always that that idea that, you know, you know, people don't want their, their homes invaded. Right. That's very you know? true because it still has a stigma to it for some reason. You know, uh, if you come out with a sighting, we've talked about that before, paranormal or UFO or anything like that, there's still a stigma to it. The yeah. the genre is growing, you know, you see ghost hunting TV shows popping up all the time and, and alien contact shows showing up all the time. But in real everyday life, most people won't believe it or don't want to believe it and will look at you weird if you go, yeah, you know what, I've, I've seen something I can't explain, then they call you crazy and these people probably don't want to deal with that. Right. And even if one guy in one apartment wants to do this, somebody in another apartment, you know, may say, look, I don't want to be considered crazy by association. Yeah, exactly. You know, I got nothing. I want no part of it. Even if I have no problems in my apartment, I, I don't want this because I don't want people thinking, you know, they want to come sleep. They want to come sleep over at my house because they <laughs> yeah. want to see a ghost. Yep. You know, it's not what this is about. The other thing, other point I was considering was, um, you know, Jan Bartell's uh, memoir. Now, you can look at this a couple ways. She did not finish it. 
her friends found it and published it for her. Now, her intent may have been to eventually publish it, but it, it doesn't seem like this was something that she was doing to make a name for herself or sure. to get richer or anything like that. You know, she was writing down the experiences she had. And however, you know, her death was, like I said, it was it was quite mysterious. It's not confirmed suicide. It just, but, you know, it, it, it makes you wonder if she was writing all this out in good faith, saying, I'm just, I'm just putting down the experiences that I had. Right. You know, right. I'm, I'm collecting all these events from my life and this is definitely a part of it. You know, I just want to share this information or I'm, I'm writing it for my own benefit. I mean, a lot of people will do that uh, and share it with family and friends and mm-hmm. whatever. Um, why would she why would she make it up? Yeah. In such detail. Right. You know, what was she to gain from making it up? I, I guess the, the other side of that coin is she was a total kook, mm-hmm. you know, and and just you know, was was off a rocker and just hallucinated or dreamed up all this or just was a, a star for attention or something. Well, she was an actress, so I don't necessarily believe that, you know, she was starred for attention. True, true. So it just kind of makes you think, okay, well, you know, even if we don't hear a lot of the modern stories, you know, there, there obviously was something that happened there for many, many, many years. And if it was as bad as Jan Bartell says, I, I can't say, you know, we're really going off of for, for these stories off of her writing um, and then using the antidotes from other people, you know, across history that have had experience there, you know, including our good friend Dennis here who, you know, can't have a decent dating life <laughs> yeah, because poor guy. His Tinder dates keep bailing because he's got ghosts in his ass. Right. <laughs> We're just playing. We're just playing. <laughs> we, we don't. We don't know Dennis. Seems like a very nice guy that lives in a haunted house. But right. Um. You know, it, it's it's one of those things. You know, how credible is the person that's relaying the story? And you know, how believable is it? Mm-hmm. You know, like Ad, Adam. Adam's asking. You know, is is just a few. Random stories more credible than, you know, just one right after another, like we have seen in other places that mm-hmm. we have we have researched. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think it does. I think it does kind of um, lend towards the more credible side that, you know, maybe there aren't as many stories, but the ones that we do have are pretty doggone good. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, at least from our standpoint. So what do you guys believe? You know, do you believe that uh, the uh, quote unquote house of death in New York City is truly haunted? Do you believe that Mark Twain's spirit still resides there? Um, we we want to know. Um, you know, so hit us up on social media. Um, you know, tweet at us. You know, all you have to do is go to those uh, Facebook, Instagram or Twitter Search for Graveyard Tales, and uh, and you'll find us. Um, and as Adam mentioned at the top of the show, please go and rate and review us on iTunes. It is the easiest way for us to move up the charts. And the only reason we want to be there is because it makes us easier to find and it brings more people into the graveyard. So 
Uh, don't forget to go check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, uh, you can listen to the listen to the show. Uh, you can find links to buy our merchandise. And you can become a patron. And thank you so much to those of you who have donated to the show. You yes, really help you. keep it going. And uh, thanks to the Podbelly Network. Uh, it's been a pleasure uh, to uh, be a new member of, uh, of that network. So uh, that's about all I got, Adam. Yep. Me too. All right. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. Hey.